So we are going to encounter God in the next 13 weeks. That will take us right up to Thanksgiving. And I want to give you just a brief overview of where we're going to be going starting today. One of the things we have to understand about who God is is, is what is his character? What is his qualities? Okay? If you say you believe in God, what God are you talking about? Who is he? So the psalmist understood who God is. And we're going to take the first number of, of messages here and look at God's attributes, who he is, starting with sovereignty today. And then we're going to move into lamenting. We're going to do some work through the lamenting psalms where the psalmist cries out to God and says, uh, the bad guys are winning, Lord, the enemies are everywhere. And then somewhere in that, he understands and remembers who God is, that he's sovereign, that he's good, that he's faithful, and he's loving. And his lament turns to praise. And that's where we're going to be going over the next 13 weeks. We want you to come with us. Our small groups will be doing a study guide that follows the sermons along with us. If you are not in a small group for this series, I would invite you to join one. If you'd like to do that, you can talk with myself or check with the church office, and we will get you hooked up. We want everyone to come with us. We're going in mass into the Psalms. And to get us started well and right this morning, we have a special guest, a friend of mine, a longtime friend of ours, Ted Simon. Rabbi Ted Simon is with us this morning. And I thought it'd be really, really cool to get the perspective, the Hebrew perspective, the Jewish perspective from a Messianic Jew like Rabbi Ted. And what it means to be a Messianic Jew, Ted, is that he is someone who has accepted Christ as his Messiah. And he believes that that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. And Rabbi Ted led a congregation here in Frederick for about 10 years and now is serving God in Baltimore and all over the world working with Jewish believers. So Ted is going to give us a glimpse into what the Psalms meant to the Hebrews. He's going to give us a glimpse into who the psalmist was. So I know you'll be blessed. Rabbi Ted. Lashana Tova, that means a good year. We're coming up on the uh, Jewish New Year. If any of you know any Jewish people, this is a great time of the year to send them a greeting card. You might say, well, wouldn't they be offended? Just the opposite. Jewish people will be blessed if you send them a card. And although I don't own stock in Hallmark, it is a publicly, not a publicly traded company. Go to the mall, get some greeting cards, and send them to your Jewish friends, neighbors, doctors, lawyers, loved ones. It's a great way to make common ground and then to build the gospel because they're going to be very appreciative that you took the time to send them a card. Okay? Get some commitments to do that? Think about it as you go to the mall. We're here to talk about the Psalms from King David, uh, the author. King David was a Jewish man who lived in Israel. I want you to understand that these Psalms, although they are in a book and they're written down and that we see them as almost in concrete, they came out of a heart of loving God, a heart of trusting in God, but most important, a heart of believing God. David understood his lineage. He came from the people who believed in God through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He was part of the group of people at that time, the only group of people who knew God. There were no Christians when David was writing. You were either a believer in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, or you were a heathen. 
And David was not a heathen. He was a truster, a believer in God. But his lineage, although he is King David, his lineage was not royal. Just the opposite. David comes from the lineage of Rahab, the famous uh, innkeeper of Jericho. (laughs) And then comes down through Boaz, kinsman redeemer, and Ruth, a Moabitess. Now, I hope Pastor R. talks a little bit more about Ruth later on, but just to give you a a quick summary, Ruth was excluded from Israel. She was an alien. In fact, she was probably an illegal alien. But she was welcomed in to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and from Rahab and from Ruth comes David and ultimately, Jesus. But David knew his lineage wasn't that great in the natural. He knew where he came from. It reminds me of the Norman Rockwell painting, I don't know if you've ever seen it, of a family tree. And there's these, all these odds and ends coming together and you come down to people who look like you. But if you trace your family tree, perhaps you have uh, some branches Uh, that are more colorful than others, right? Well, David had some very colorful branches in his family tree. Uh, The other thing to know about the Psalms is as you read them, and I do hope you'll be reading them and meditating on them in the next 13 weeks, um, you'll notice that some of them seem to ramble. You might be noticing that this preacher is seeming to ramble. I'm not. I am, but I'm not. There is an internal order to what I'm saying today. We're going to touch David's lineage. We're going to touch his emotionality. We're going to touch his land. But how we get there is sometimes more colorful than a straight uh, Aristotelian or Greek way of presenting information. What that means is we're trying not to be boring. (laughs) We're trying to give examples that you can take home with. Remember, David didn't have the projection screen and he didn't have the multimedia. He had to paint pictures with his words. He had to express what was going on in his heart with his words. And sometimes his words are colorful and more picturesque. But let me assure you that what was going on in his heart was very real. And the situations he found himself in were very real. A lot of them were life and death situations. A lot of them were making choices that were incredibly bad. Incredibly bad choices. And then dealing with the consequences of those choices. A lot of them were just things that happened to him, just as things happen to us, just as we make bad choices, just as we are hit and pummeled by the things of life and other people uh, who are against us for no reason that we can discern um, at work, at school, in our families. David experienced these deeply. I know, I know for myself, uh, we have a daughter who's uh, mentally ill. And I just remember the night of that diagnosis. We just came back 
Um, and we were hoping and hoping that maybe it wasn't as bad and wasn't bad. And it was terrible. It was the worst diagnosis you could possibly get. And my wife and I just sat on our beds and we screamed and cried and wailed from a deep part within me. I don't even know where that part was. And maybe some of you have experienced a death or, or a loss that you just, in the deepest part of you, we call it the kishkas, our guts, our, we just were crying out. And, and it wasn't that we didn't believe in God, we were just hurting. And David found himself hurting many, many times and crying out. Sometimes he says, I'm groaning. That's all I can do. I can't even put it in words. I am groaning. Now, praise God. God is the God of the resurrection victory. And so um, my child, who still has this diagnosis, is um, doing wonderfully. Loves God, is married. It's, it's amazing. But I didn't know that at the time. All we saw was a groaning, and, and our pillows were literally covered in tears. So when you read David saying, I my bed, I was swimming in my bed, I, I'm tossing and turning, my pillows are covered in tears, I'm groaning out to the Lord, he really was. He really was. Things hurt him. His friends hurt him. People did him dirt. And yet, he still trusted in God and cried out to God. He believed that God was. So David was emotional. You know, he was really emotional. On one hand, he's groaning. The other hand, he's whirling and twirling and loving God and dancing in the street, partying. He, he, he expressed himself emotionally. The other thing to know about, another thing to know about Psalms is that they represent a lot of times what David was feeling in a, a certain time. And they're not all rushed together. You know, we have Psalm 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7. We have 100-something Psalms, 150 Psalms, right? And you're going to read through them, and you're going to want to read through them all. But I'm encouraging you to take time to linger on the Psalms. Take time to linger. Take time to catch your breath. I know Frederick's getting a little bit busier, but, you know, if you're running up and down 270... When you come past Urbana, turn it off. You know, just, or if you live in Urbana, when you get there, just turn it off, catch your breath, and just say, I'm going to spend a little time in the Word. And let the Word speak to your heart. Let it really calm you down. Let it touch a deep part of you, resonate within you. Ponder it. Savor it. Because the Psalms are rich. Don't try to just check off, I've read Psalm 1, 2, 3, 4, 5 today, or 130, 40, 60 today, whatever. Just ponder each one. One more thing to know about David is that he lived in the land of Israel. When he says, I look up unto the hills and there my hope comes from, my hope comes from the Lord. I was at Starbucks this morning and I looked up and Braddock Mountain and South Mountain, it was beautiful. But that's not what David was seeing. He wasn't seeing the verdant hills of South Mountain. He was seeing the hills, rocky, barren hills of Jerusalem. And it wasn't the physical place where his hope came from. 
he was thinking back. Well, wait, this is the mountain where Abraham was about to sacrifice Isaac. This is the mountain that I climbed up and freed from the Jebusites. This was the place where, my temp where God's temple will be built. There was a history to that place, a land, a specific land. How many of you have been to Israel? Oh my, so few. The rest of you, how many want to go to Israel? Pastor R? I'd love to take you to Israel so you can see and smell and touch and walk where Jesus walked and where King David walked to get a feel for the land. That this is a real place with real people, with real emotions that actually still exist. And what exists in the land today are believers in Jesus who are Jewish people. There's a remnant of believers, there's about 8,000 now, that are coming back to the Lord just like King David. Just like King David. That, yes, the state of Israel being renewed. See, this is such a young crowd. You all believe Israel's always existed. But in 1948, there was no state of Israel. And the next day, as the Bible prophesied, can a nation be born in a day, Israel became a nation. And in 1967, where I'm getting a little closer to you, but still, you, you, you guys are young. In 1967, Jerusalem was not in Jewish hands. The city of David was not in Jewish hands. And suddenly, it became under the control of the Jewish people once again for the first time in 2,000 years. And then, after 1967, and again, you're so young, you don't know, um, I came to the Lord in 1976 at the tail end of the Jesus movement. But you don't even know what the Jesus movement is. <laughs> but at the tail end of the Jesus movement, Jewish people started to come back to the Lord and started to read the Psalms of David with new eyes. And so as you enter into this 13 weeks let it become for you a rich experience of the heritage of the Messiah. Let it be a rich experience of the emotions of the Messiah. Jesus himself weeping over the city, weeping over the people, weeping over your loved ones that are still lost, crying out for them. And let it be a time of coming back to the heritage of the land of King David and of Jesus, our Messiah. It's going to be a rich time for you. 13 weeks, get you started. But understand the fullness and the reality, the, the, the nitty-gritty, the, the gutsy, the emotion of the Psalms and let them minister to you as they have and continue to minister to me. Thank you all. Today we've been a journey in the book of Psalms. And we're um, entitling this series, Encountering God in the Psalms, From Lament to Praise. We have written a small group curriculum for you to deepen your understanding of our God. And my task over these next few weeks is to familiarize you with the attributes of God. And this morning we begin with the sovereignty of God. The concept behind the sovereignty of God is that God is in control, that God is on the throne that God rules and God reigns and God can do as he pleases. 
that God is working out his plans, that God has a purpose in it all, that life isn't just accidental or incidental, it's very intentional. You know, I believe that God's sovereign plans rested upon Ted and placing into his family the child with the special needs and then restoring that child and giving that child a hope and a future. My son Chris, who finds himself now in his fourth year of medical school, you know, um, about 19 years ago, Chris was involved with a very serious car accident, suffering internal injuries. And he was saying to me this week, he said, Dad, I think I have found my calling, which is emergency medicine, being with the very sick, understanding through compassion what they are going through. You see, in God's sovereign plan for Chris, it included a very terrible accident, a recovery period, and then a training period now, where he set his heart upon being a physician. In the case of Eric, our youth pastor, God intended for Eric to be down in Haiti for that week, and many of you to go with us down to Haiti when we go. But he put him in Walkersville Middle School, the after-school program, and there he met somebody from the Willett team. And Willett came here and talked about Haiti, and Eric found himself down in Haiti. But you say, Pastor R., if God is on the throne, why does all this bad stuff happen? I have seen the coast of southeastern India where the tsunami created a wave 35 feet tall, as high as the coconut trees, and the village that was devastated by that tsunami. And many of them in that village perished. Why, who is God, who is good, who is sovereign, who is all-loving, all-powerful, why does he let these things happen? I think suffering will always be a mystery to us. We won't ultimately know the answer. But being in that village, I saw many of the Hindus who called upon the name of Jesus. There are about 30 of them that I met who become believers because they saw the compassion of the Christians after the disaster, bringing forth food and water and rebuilding their houses and supplying uh, fishing boats with which to fish. You see, the hand of God sometimes works through the most difficult thing. So here's the human dilemma. Life sometimes doesn't make sense to us. We make feeble attempts to try to explain it all, to figure it all out, but we can't. It just doesn't seem to fit that God is in complete control, and yet tragedies happen. So we're left with many questions. We ask ourselves, why? Why did this happen? Why now? Why me? Sometimes we suffer because of choices we've made. Sometimes we suffer because of choices other people have made. But God is sovereign, and God is in control. But at the same time, in his sovereignty, he's allowed us to make choices. God is sovereign, but he allows for human freedom and for choices. And therein lies an antinomy, which is to say two things are true, but can't be true at the same time. That God is sovereign in full control, but he allows us to make choices according to our free will. It reminds me of the verse in Isaiah which says, Remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me. Knowing the end from the, the beginning, from the ancient times, the things that have not yet been done, I will do. Saying, My counsel will stand. I will do according to my pleasure. I have spoken it and I will bring it to pass. God is sovereign. Nothing that happens in this world happens outside of God's control or God's attention. 
God is attuned to the great things as well as the small things in life. To you who are teachers, God is sovereign over the students he has placed in your class and sovereign over the things that will happen in their life. To you who are students, God is sovereign over the teachers you have and the lessons he wants you to teach. God is sovereign over our nation, over the leaders he has placed into power. For the nations are like a drop in the bucket to God. And God is sovereign over our economy. That even in the worst of times, God is still providing for his children. The psalmist said, I once was young, but now I'm old. But I've never seen the righteous forsaken or their children begging after bread. God himself is sovereign. God is working out his will. God has purposes to fulfill in your life. We're going to look at the Hallel Psalms, Psalm 146, in just a moment. But you must believe that God is in sovereign control of your life. God has sovereignly raised up a team to go to South Africa, composed of elders and children's directors and families and elders. He's composed of care deacons, of leaders within our church. It's imperative you believe that God is in control of your life. Too many go around worried and upset. Too many are trying to figure everything out. How can I get out of this problem? How can I change my child? How can I change my husband? How can I change my wife? That's not how God wants you to live. When we truly trust God and believe that he is in control, finally we can breathe and be at rest. There's a peace in our hearts and souls. Deep down the inside, we know that it's going to work out all right because God is in control. We live in a world where we feel a lot of stress, but we have to understand that God is at work, that God is behind the scenes, that he has prearranged for you a bright future. If you could pull back the curtain and peer into the unseen reality, you would see that God is fighting battles for you, and God is empowering you to fight battles, that God is a warrior, and God has called you also to fight you will find that your Heavenly Father is for you and getting everything arranged for you in your favor. You will see that Abba Father is getting ready to open a door of opportunity to you for someone across your path. You see, God can open doors that no man can shut. And God can shut doors that no man can open. If we could only see the mind of God, how God is orchestrating everything, we wouldn't worry. We wouldn't live our lives stressed out. The fact is, we all have difficulties. We all have things in life that steal our joy and steal our peace. But you have to learn to turn the things you can't control over to God who is in full control. Father, I am trusting you. Father, I'm believing you're in control. Father, I may not understand but I'm trusting you who understands everything. Quit trying to figure everything out. Quit trying to solve every problem. (laughs) It would take so much pressure off of you. You would enjoy your life so much more if you could relinquish control, if you could surrender to your Father, if you could yield up control to Him and believe your Father is at work, working out His plans, 
doing his will, achieving his purpose. You may say, I may not be able to see it, Pastor, but God is arranging things in your favor. God is getting the right people to cross your path. God is lining up solutions you haven't even considered yet. God is sovereign. With that, if you have a Bible, open to Psalm 146. Psalm 146 through Psalm 150 are called the Hallel Psalms, the Hallelujah Psalms, the Hallelujah Chorus. If you travel to any culture in the world, you will hear them say three words, Hallelujah. No matter what language they are speaking, you'll hear them say Hallelujah. And you'll hear them say Amen or Amen. I agree, so shall it be. And you'll hear them say Coca-Cola. We have a vision that one day we're going to be so overtaken with profound love of God that we will simply give praise to him in this place. The scripture says to praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O my soul. To praise the Lord in the good times. To praise the Lord in the bad times. To praise the Lord when all things are going well and when life seems to be falling apart. The psalmist said, I will praise the Lord with the rising of the sun. I will praise the Lord with the setting of the sun. May the name of the Lord be praised. It is the command of God to praise him because he is worthy of our praise. Praise the Lord, O my soul, from the depths of my being. And the longer you linger over the Psalms and savor them, you see the heart of the psalmist is to praise the Lord. I will praise the Lord as long as I live. Why? God has ordained the days of my life. My God knit me together inside my mother's womb. God has arranged and sovereign over the affairs of my life. I will praise him. Then he exhorts us saying, do not put your trust in princes. There are those who will put their trust in them that seem powerful, the politicians. They will arrange their schedule to work in campaigns so as to be hired by political candidates. They'll try to lobby political candidates so as to get influence. The scripture says, do not trust in princes, in mortal men who cannot save. For when their spirit departs, they return to the ground. And that very day, their plans come to nothing. The Bible says you should not put your confidence, your trust in mortal men whose life upon this earth is very temporal, who only will be here for a very short while. Instead, blessed is the man, blessed is the woman whose help is in the God of Jacob. Jacob was a man who was running for his life. Esau was in hot pursuit. And Jacob lay his weary head down upon a stone. And he had a dream that night. And the dream that night was of angels ascending and angels descending. That God himself was on the throne and God was going to help him. And Jacob said, the Lord was in this place and I knew it not. You see, Jacob came to rely upon the help that God would give him. Blessed is he whose help is in the God of Jacob, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, whose hope is in the Lord his God. He puts his confidence, he relies upon God and his promises. For he is the maker of heaven and earth. He is the maker of the sea and everything in them. The Lord who remains faithful forever. 
Our God is a covenant-keeping God. God made covenant with Noah and kept his covenant. God made covenant with Abraham and kept his covenant. And God has made covenant with you. And God will keep his end of the bargain. For he is a covenant-keeping God. Our God is a promise-keeper. And he upholds the goodness of God. See at verse 7. The goodness of God. He upholds the cause of the oppressed. There are those who use power to their own advantage and oppress the weak and the vulnerable. God is on the side of the weak, the vulnerable, and the oppressed. I think about the former president, Jimmy Carter's trip to North Korea to petition on behalf of that government the release of one who walked across the Chinese border. You see, God is on the cause, upholds the cause of the oppressed. And God gives food to the hungry. What a privilege it is to be the hands of Jesus, opening our hands to the hungry ones. I think about our school over in Bangui, Central African Republic, in, in, in Gamutu. One of the leaders from Africa will be here in about three weeks. In that school, there are 77 orphans. They have relatives who've taken them in, but they don't have the means to provide food for these precious children. And once a day, these children get podopoto, which is an African porridge, which is sufficient for their daily needs. You see, God has compassion upon those without their daily food. And God feeds the hungry. And God calls us to feed the hungry. The Lord sets the prisoners free. I believe the anointing of Isaiah 61 is upon our church. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon us. For the Lord has anointed us and appointed us to preach the good news to the afflicted, to the poor, and to set the prisoners free. No matter what your bondage is, Jesus Christ has the power to set you free. And the Lord gives sight to the blind, to those who walk in the darkness, to those who are blinded to the truth. God has a way of opening eyes greater than LASIK surgery. And the Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. And we carry on our shoulders, as it were, the weight of the world. The pressures, the problems of the world weigh us down. And Jesus said, Come unto me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. In South Africa, you will see them who are bowed down. And the Lord will use you to lift them up. And the Lord loves his righteous. I love this. The tender affections of our God towards his righteous ones. The feelings of our God that these are my children. I will provide for them. I will take care of them. I will show my mercy to them. And the Lord watches over the alien. In a moment, we're going to look at Ruth. And she was just an alien from Moab. She was from a foreign land. She worshipped false gods. But she became a believer of the true and living God. And God watched over her life and showed her favor. And the Lord sustains the fatherless and the widow. That's why the New Testament says to us, this is pure and undefiled religion. To visit orphans and widows in their distress, to look after them, to provide for them. And the Lord frustrates the ways of the wicked. And the Lord himself reigns forever. Therein is a statement of God's sovereignty. 
that our God is good and our God rules forever. Now I'd like to apply this psalm, if you can go with me this way, to the book of Ruth and to see God's sovereignty at work in her life. I encourage you throughout this week to read this, the beautiful book of Ruth. You can read it in about five, ten minutes. But the book is speaking to the sovereign hand of God, working out his will in Ruth's life. So let's begin with this statement. God sovereignly ordained the family and lineage of Jesus through ordinary people and circumstances. Ruth chapter 4 and verse 10. So Boaz... Boaz is seen in this book as a kinsman redeemer. Boaz is going to show the favor of God to Ruth. To be a kinsman redeemer, a man must, first of all, be a close relative, must have the will to redeem and the power to redeem. Boaz was a man with influence and with wealth. And he took notice of Ruth, and she became his wife. They became wed together. And they went to her, and the Lord enabled her to conceive. And she gave birth to a son. And the women said to Naomi, Praise be to the Lord, who this day has not left you without a kinsman redeemer. May this child become famous throughout all Israel. For he will renew your life and sustain you in your old age. You see, Naomi would have herself a grandson. And the grandson's name was Obed. God would bless their household with a son. Ruth would bear a son. And this son would sustain Naomi in her old age. You see, this son would love Naomi like Ruth loved Naomi. As Naomi would take care of Obed, so someday Obed would take care of Naomi. He would sustain her in her old age and renew her. And this little one would become famous in all of Bethlehem. You say, how would that happen, Pastor R? Because this son, Obed, would have a son whose name was Jesse. And Jesse would have eight sons. And the youngest of his sons was named David, beloved of God. And David was a shepherd boy. And God would take him from the shepherd fields and appoint him to be the king over all of Israel. And from David would come forth the Messiah, even Jesus Christ himself. God was working out his plan through the life of Naomi, through the life of Ruth and Boaz, to bring forth his son. Such that when Jesus Christ, his birth was announced, the angel said to Mary, You have found favor with God, for you're going to give birth to a son. His name shall be called Jesus, and he will save many from their sins. He is to be a son of the Most High God, and he will be the son of David, and he will reign forever and ever, and his kingdom will never end. You see, God was working out his sovereign will through the losses that Naomi and Ruth had suffered. And there would come a day when Jesus himself was going up to Jericho. And at Jericho, there was a blind beggar by the name of Bartimaeus. And Bartimaeus heard a rustle of the crowd, and he asked, what is going on? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth is passing through. And he began to cry out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy upon me. And they tried to hush him. He was a blind man. You could not see. And he cried out all the louder, Jesus, son of David, have mercy upon me. 
And Jesus brought the blind man into his presence and said, What do you want? And Bartimaeus said, Lord, I want to see. And he said, Receive your sight, for your faith has made you well. You see, the greater son of David had the power to make people well. And God, through Ruth and Naomi and Boaz, was working his lineage to bring forth his son, Jesus Christ. God sovereignly ordained through his family and lineage of Jesus through ordinary people and circumstances. Our God is sovereign. Secondly, God sovereignly orchestrated the famine and the move and the marriage to connect Ruth to this Israelite family. Let me give you a synopsis of chapter 1. Chapter 1 begins by talking about there was a famine in the land of Israel. We believe this was happening in the time of Gideon. In the time of Gideon, they were suffering oppression from the enemy. The enemy would come and steal their food, leaving them with nothing to eat. And in this famine, Elimelech takes Naomi and their two sons, Malon and Kilion, and they go over to the land of Moab to live. And when they arrived in Moab, Elimelech dies, and he is buried. And then the two sons marry two Moabite women, Orpah and Ruth. Orpah is the very one Oprah was named after, but there's a misspelling in the name. So the two sons marry Moabite women. And for ten years, they live in the land. And the two sons themselves die, leaving only Naomi and her two daughters-in-law, Orpah and Ruth. What Naomi does is she tries to encourage the daughters to go home to their households to find a husband, to find rest. And Orpah turns back to her family, to her land, to her gods. But there is one whose name is Ruth, which means compassion. And she makes one of the most incredible pledges in all of Scripture. And she clung to Naomi and she said, Where you go, I will go. And where you live, I will live. And your God shall be my God. And your people shall be my people. And Ruth would not turn back to her land or to her gods or to her people. She turned her face toward Bethlehem, toward the land of God, the land of Canaan, to be associated with the true and living God. And now, now we pick it up at verse 19. So the two women went on until they came to Bethlehem, which means house of bread. And when they arrived in Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women exclaimed, Can this be Naomi? Now, Naomi means pleasantness or sweetness. Can this be, after all these years, Naomi, her sweetness, present, pleasantness coming back? And this is what she said in verse 20. Don't call me Naomi. Don't call me pleasantness or sweetness. Rather, call me Mara, which means bitterness. Don't call me pleasantness because I'm in a foul mood. Don't you dare call me sweetness or I'm going to smack you upside your head. My new name is Mara, which means bitterness because there's a bitterness inside my soul. The Almighty has made my life very bitter. What Naomi is believing in this moment is that God has turned against her. That because life 
seems difficult, God has turned against her. That the bitterness in her soul is because God has made her life very bitter. I want to tell you that God himself will never turn against you. God is always for you. God is always working out his plans. God is always working out his purposes. That God is always good. That God is good all the time. And all the time God is good. God never stops being good to his people. She said, I went away full. My life was full. I had a husband. I had two handsome sons. But the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. And the Almighty has brought this misfortune upon me. The book of Hebrews says it this way. See that nobody misses the grace of God. God will always bestow his grace upon you. See that no root of bitterness grows up within you, causing defilement to many. One of the greatest problems we have in life is not understanding God. We have judged God and judged God wrongfully. We have attributed to God evil. We have believed that he's brought these misfortunes upon us, that God has turned against us. The reality, if you could pull back the screen, is that God is sovereign and God is working out his plans. God sovereignly brought Ruth from the land of Moab into the land of Israel. God sovereignly permitted her to marry into this family. God sovereignly permitted her husband to die. God sovereignly gave her Naomi to travel with. And God is sovereign and God is on the control. And God is working out his plans in Ruth's life. Do you believe in the sovereignty of God? And God sovereignly provided for Ruth by orchestrating the opportunity for Ruth to meet Boaz and find favor in his eyes. What happens is that Ruth comes back into the land and she's hungry. And she says to Naomi, one of my favorite lines of the story, shall I go and glean some barley? Like, duh, like we're hungry. And so she goes out and happens to fall into the lands of Boaz. And there she begins to glean from the earliest light of day until the sun goes down. And Boaz begins to show his favor to Ruth. He says, if you're thirsty, you may drink from my well. If you're hungry, I'll provide food for you to eat. If you're weary, you can rest in my shelter. You see, Boaz begins to show the favor of God to Ruth. She is not forgotten. She is not forsaken. Verse 10. At this she bowed down with her face to the ground. She exclaimed, Why have I found such favor in your eyes that you notice me, a foreigner? Ruth knew she did not deserve this kind of favor. No person here deserves the favor of God. If we receive the favor of God, it is completely undeserved. And Boaz replied, I've been told all about you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband." How you left your father and mother and your homeland. You came to live with a people you did not know. May the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to seek refuge. 
You see, beside the mercy seat, on top of the mercy seat, were two cherubim with wings outstretched. And to find the mercy of God is to come under his wings of protection. God was protecting this precious alien, this foreigner in the land of Israel. God was going to protect her and care for her and provide for her. Just like a mother hen would take her baby chick and place it under the wing so as to protect her. So now God was going to protect Ruth in this land. He was going to show her how great and awesome he really is. So let's go back now to Psalm 146 just briefly and try to filter Ruth through this psalm. Psalm 146 in verse 5. Blessed is he whose help is not put in man, but the God of Jacob. Where does your help come from? Will your help come from a man? The psalmist says, my help comes from the Lord. Whose hope is in the Lord, his God. You may put your hope in various people, and your hope become disappointed. But those who put their hope in the Lord will never be disappointed. The maker of heaven, the maker of earth, everything in them, the Lord, who remains faithful to his covenant forever. The Lord upholds the cause of the oppressed. Ruth was greatly oppressed. The Lord gives food to the hungry. In the heart of the Lord is full of compassion. The Lord sets his prisoners free. Naomi was a prisoner to her depression and to her grief, and God was about to set her free. The Lord gives sight to the blind. They could not see the mysterious hand of God at work. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the alien like Ruth and sustains the fatherless, the widow. The Lord frustrates the ways of the wicked. The Lord is sovereign. That means he reigns forever. So now we come to a definition of sovereignty. God's sovereignty concerns his rule over all creation. Everything that happens comes about because either he causes it or consciously allows it to happen. Do you really believe in God's sovereignty? That God has arranged and orchestrated your life, that he is sovereign over all the details, the big things, the little things that happen in your life. Let's have the praise team come, can we? We're going to exalt him in just a moment, but I'm going to offer a prayer. Then we're going to to commission a team to South Africa. Father in heaven, as we hear this teaching about your precious psalms, teach us, Lord, how to savor them and linger over them and cherish them and breathe them inside, that the language of the psalmist becomes our language, that we learn to praise you from the inside being, for your sovereignty over our life, that you remain good, through all the vicissitudes of life, that you remain faithful through all the hardships in life, that you remain all-powerful and all-knowing and everywhere present to us, that you alone are God and teach us to rest in your sovereignty. Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.